Hi, thank you for joining me. My name is John New. This is John 2020 Apologetics and Lion and Lamb Podcast. I'm going to be doing this podcast and also simultaneously recording the video version and putting this on my YouTube channel. I find this this uh, debate that just happened between Brandon Robertson, Robertson, who is a uh, a pastor, a priest for LGBTQ quote Christians. And he went on a um, interview slash debate with Jeff Durbin and uh, Dr. James White. If you don't know who uh, um, Jeff Durbin is, he's a uh, he's a lead pastor or one of the head pastors for Apologia Church. I believe they're in Arizona. You can go on YouTube and see him. He does he has had some debates in the past, but he does the majority of his stuff is on ground with uh, abortions. He goes to like abortion mills and talks to people and uh, debates them on that and gives them the word of God. And uh, Dr. James White, he's got, I think, close to 200 debates on um, a variety of topics that um, he his debates Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and Muslims so and atheists as well. I think him and Jeff Durbin actually did a debate together. But anyways, so he's he's a uh, you know I don't agree with everything that he says, but uh, he's he's a very solid debater, and you definitely got to bring your lunch when you're gonna come. And I, I do give uh, Brandon some props if you want to say that for coming to these two. I mean, he definitely doesn't hold back on his beliefs, and neither does uh, Jeff and. Um, Dr. White, you're going to see, uh, by the way, a cool fact about Jeff, he's like a uh, world champion karate guy or something. He's like a ninja turtle or something, <laughs> power ranger or something. I don't remember. I don't know what it is, but it's pretty cool. But um, you're going to, they go at him pretty good. And this debate culminates the majority of my podcasts. It, that's the topics I, I like to talk about on my podcast. I do get more political. You're going to, you know, hear from the horse's mouth the their beliefs and how they are um, poisoning the gospel with their beliefs. Um, yeah, so let's just go ahead and get straight to it. I would say of maybe Brandon can help me with this. The the, um, I mean, would it be proper to say gay theology, um, theology and homosexuality, um, and promote for my podcast listeners? That is Jeff Durbin speaking. He's a younger guy with a beard, the, the karate guy. And, uh, the, uh, the other male's voice you're about to hear, the higher voice is going to be, uh, Brandon Robertson. Uh, the idea that homosexuality is something good and holy before God. I do spend a good amount of time talking about that, but more broadly, That's I would say progressive Christianity. But yes, also LGBT theology. Okay, LGBT theology. And so I just want to say publicly, uh, because I mean it, I'm going to speak straight and not crooked. Great level of respect for Brandon Robertson when I saw that he had communicated with us and said he'd be willing to have a discussion. I, uh, I was very grateful for that. And so I am honored to have you on the show today. Uh, and so let's go ahead and just jump right into it, Brandon, so we can have that discussion. People who know you and know us have probably seen the things that you have said and, and know what we've said over, over the last month or so. I think we've done a couple things engaging with some of your TikTok videos. Uh, yeah, so real quick, he kind of explains it here, but I'll give a little more detail 
Um, so Brandon is heavy on TikTok, and uh, you know that generally tends to be an audience of younger folks. Younger folks um, feel that they're compassionate for accepting of all lifestyles, but they still have an, uh, an objective moral standard that they put on it. But they pretend to accept everyone, like they would never accept our opinions. But then they would call themselves, uh, you know, open to other people's beliefs. So it's it's quite ironic. But that's what he does. He goes on TikTok and he um, claims to support and interpret the scripture correctly. And that it is, is correctly interpreted through his lens. And that it is not against the homosexual lifestyle and other lifestyles as well. And that our view is outdated. And it's incorrect. It's not correct exegesis, which means pulling from the scripture. And Jeff Durbin has uh, responded to some of them. And so, and through that interaction, has brought them together for this uh, conversation slash debate. So the video that you responded to was this one. By what standard is anybody immoral in your perspective? Because you're, you're trying to create a category of this is good, lovely, and beautiful. And you know what? These people who are doing this over here, they're not actually over here in the category of immorals. We've got good, righteous, immoral, evil. Brandon admits that. He's, he's, he's not saying he's a nihilist. He's saying there's actually something that's good. Yeah, there's meaning. something that's there's immoral. Purpose. He's saying these people that do these acts over here, they're not immoral. Okay, the challenge is, and it always is going to be, Brandon, by what standard mm -hmm. are you measuring whether it's immoral? Is it because Brandon... Is it because in his little mind, he believes that it's not immoral? Or is it the culture that we're currently in that says it's not immoral? Or is there a, actually an objective standard of something that it is right or wrong or immoral or moral? Is there a standard out there somewhere? Where can I find this standard, Brandon? Is it somewhere I can investigate or is, is it a book that I can open? Is there a standard for what is right and wrong? Because you're clearly applying it. You're saying that what they're doing isn't wrong. By what standard? So he says, uh, not you're not a nihilist, which means that you don't you do believe that there is some things that are inherently wrong and not. And then he's challenging him, where do you get your standard from? And this is one of the strongest um, arguments that if you do watch a Christian slash um, you know atheist debate, this is a point that the Christians bring up generally is that where do you get the standard for right or wrong? Where why is it wrong? Yeah, we understand you know how it's wrong. Yes, we know that you know it's wrong to enslave people. Yes, we know that you know that it's wrong to murder people. But why can you justify that claim based upon what objective moral standard? That's the, that's the argument. Not that you know that it's not wrong, but where do you get the right to say that it's wrong? And that's what he's challenging Brandon here to. This is going to be the second time I've listened to this debate. So, um, And of course... I do bring a bias to this, but I, I do admit when a Christian um, has struggles to win a debate, it's not every time. I've watched uh, Christopher Hitchens um, before he passed away. I've watched some of his old debates. He has in the past beat Christians in debates. I'm not just completely blind because I support Jeff and Dr. White's position, but I have to honestly admit that Brandon gets gets destroyed here. And and you're going to see why, though. It's because the God's word doesn't support his his uh, his exegesis. Okay, let's continue. Brandon, the best way to burn fat and get in shape. It's not keto. That's a commercial. Let me pause it real quick.
All right, we're back. Game on. All right, here we go. So there you go. All right. And so you responded to that on Instagram, and we can have a discussion about it. And so I think it'd be good to start there. What do you think? Yeah, well, I know that was in a context of a broader conversation. I'm not exactly sure what particular video you're responding to, but I do think the question of what standard do we define morality uh, by is an important one. And I do think we all probably start at different places. Um, you too, uh, presumably believe that the Bible is the inerrant inspired word of God, and that is your objective moral standard. I would say that perhaps there is an objective moral standard, but I don't know. I don't believe that we can know it objectively. And so right then and there, and Jeff's going to point this out later in the video, the debate, but see, once someone says that, but then makes claims about what is right or wrong, you have no argument. How can you say you, you, uh, you can't know what is objectively right or wrong, but then make claims about what is right or wrong? I mean, this isn't hard. Um, I don't think that the Bible is uh, the inerrant word of God, and therefore I Says also who? don't think all of the morality that we find in the pages of the Bible is um, worthy of being followed. Um, and so we have two different starting yeah, places. So he can't define for, what yeah, it is, but he can tell you what well, a good place to should start. Should brought up just like that. So that video in particular was responding to your video that was calling porn art and saying that it's actually a beautiful and good thing. And so that's what that was. A so now you know what type of demonic evil um, person that you're talking about here whenever they say that porn is art. Porn is art where we get the the Greek word porneia, which has to do with evil sexual sin. Just so happened that that's the word pornography is named after, right? Just so happened. I mean, Jesus says if you even look at somebody in lustful eyes that you've committed a sin. It's not just don't sleep with your neighbor's wife. Don't lust for your neighbor's wife. This is the standard that Jesus brought. Okay? So it's, it's not art. And what what standard is he saying that it's art? Where is he where is he getting this from? Himself? It's like he's his own pope, or he's his own uh, uh, John MacArthur, or his own Protestant, or, or whatever Eastern Orthodox. Like he's in charge of himself. He's his own church. He's his own authority. That's that's what it, it's already glaringly obvious. It's essentially saying it's not immoral. It's not wrong. And so since you believe because you don't believe the Bible is the objective standard or ultimate standard, um, since you believe that that is not the ultimate standard, and that there's not really any, you can't know any objective ultimate standard, and then how do you know anything at all? I mean, you're making claims about what is moral and true and good, and yet you admit that your system, because you reject God's word and his revelation as a starting point, is that there you can't really know that there's this objective morality. So how do you complain about anything, Brandon? I would say that I would be in alignment with a majority of other people who uh, have, we have a reason. We have majority of people in uh, World War II in Germany thought that Jews were not fully human, were subhuman. The majority of Southerners in the 1700s 1800s in North America or America thought that, uh, that uh, blacks were um, not worthy as, as a full person. So that, but that doesn't change objective truth because black people are just as human as I am and Jews are just as human as I am. Okay. There's no difference between us. We just look different, but we're the same, 
we're the same, uh, you know, with the human race. So there's no, I don't, where, where's he getting this from? Again, like, I don't, I don't understand how he can say any of this with a straight face. It just doesn't make any sense to me. But let's, let's continue. Science, we have revelation. I do believe in revelation. I just don't believe that all of the Bible is God's revelation. There are multiple ways that we come to develop a sense of morality. Obviously, that's another red flag, right? So he picks and chooses what is, uh, what is biblical and what is from God or not. So, it, again, it's him. It's him. He's the one. He's the one that decides. Not if the person that, that wrote it, you know, was called by God, led by the Holy Spirit in the Old and New Testament. None of that matters. It's it's what what he thinks. And this is the this is where you have to go when you when you have to abandon the the clear teaching of the scripture. This is why liberalism in our churches and in our uh, university or Christian universities have no place. No place, okay? This is why. You have to abandon the, the authority and inerrancy of Scripture to support your position. Because clearly Scripture doesn't support your position. Um, I resonate with the language from the Hebrew Bible, which talks about the law of God written on our hearts. I believe that in some sense, all the human beings have been programmed with some level of um, of moral code. And yes, there is obviously diversity and we disagree as humans on various um, what things are moral and what might not be moral. But there are a lot of areas where broad swaths of humanity throughout all time do agree on common moral principles. And I'm also of the mindset that humanity led by the spirit of God is constantly progressing in our morality, which I know you all would probably very much disagree with. But I believe every generation we're getting towards more of what Jesus talked about as the kingdom of God, where we have a society of justice, equity, peace. And did you catch that? Did you catch that? So the further we get away or the further we go in time, we're actually getting closer with our new ideas and ideologies being poured into the scripture. That is what's leading the, the right path to God. So not necessarily following the church's beliefs from the beginning of the first through you know the first few centuries and the early church fathers none of that none of that matters it's what we or what i and what my progressive um community how we view it and it's because um we're advancing it's the further we get from the source the better or how does that even make sense brandon so I see, but you don't, yeah, but you don't, yeah, but you don't know. You're admitting though, Brandon. I'm sorry. Make sure. Just I don't want to. Yeah. I want to make sure that we're at least dealing with uh, one point at a time here. So, um, but you've admitted that the the word of God that talks about the kingdom of God and God's justice. Uh, you admitted that you don't believe that it's inerrant or infallible or that it's the standard, the ultimate standard at all. So my question is, why appeal to it at all? Why talk about things like the kingdom of God and the law of God written in our hearts when you've already acknowledge at the front that you don't respect it, believe it, stand on it, respect it as an ultimate authority. You think that it's um, either corrupted at points or just the words of mere men and not an ultimate standard. So I would just make a point here. When you say, you know, scripture says the law is written in our heart. Well, the specific word there is the Torah is written within us. In Jeremiah 31, 31, God's law, the law, would be written within us. When Jeremiah wrote that, they had a law in mind and an instruction in mind, and that was the law of God from the Old Testament. 
Yeah, see, people, just because the Bible says that the, the, the God's law is written in your hearts doesn't mean that you can live any way you want and you just follow the heart. The, the heart is deceitful. Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful. This isn't um, like some, you know, mind bender here. This is, you, you compare the heart to the scripture. The scripture is what the standard is, how you judge your heart, if your heart is taking you in the right place or not. If the if your heart is leading you in a in a in a place where it contradicts scripture, then you fix it so it does not um go against the word of God because the God because the word of God is our standard. It is theonostos, it is God breathed. That's what it is. Your heart is deceitful. So you check it. With the scripture. And that is, again, that doesn't mean you just interpret anything any way you want. And, you know, people do this with, with Jesus when he says, don't judge. And he, that's not what he meant. And we'll, that's, I, I got a whole nother video on that. That'll take me down a rabbit trail. I'm going to try not to go that way. All right, so let's continue. Sorry. That's what's written within us. And so there, there's, a, there's an objective standard of what that law was. So yeah, it's, it's now internalized. It's no longer on stone tablets outside of us exerting pressure from the outside. Correct. It's internalized with God's people in the new covenant. That's specifically a new covenant promise, by the way. Um, but that law is objective. We know what it is. God spoke it. So here's a couple things. I think this is where we fundamentally disagree is I think your version of uh, Christianity tries to oversimplify things that aren't actually simple at all. And I don't think uh, it's as simple as you either believe all of the Bible or you believe none of the Bible. I hear that a lot from more conservative Christians. That's virtually not how anybody has engaged with Scripture throughout the history of Judaism and Christianity. It's not how we engage as human beings, as reasonable, thoughtful people. It's not all in or all out. I believe that the Bible is a human product inspired by God. And yes, there are parts of the Bible where I believe God's revelation comes true or comes through clearly. Uh, and there are parts of the Bible that are clearly immoral and wrong and should be According rejected. to who? You don't believe there's an objective standard, though. You said that you can't Correct. know it. So why are you chastising? He's going to go on slavery here in a second. I just ironically did some videos on slavery on my Understanding God in the Old Testament series that I got going on right now. And I've done videos in the past on this. Um, it's He has no idea what he's talking about. He's going to dodge Jeff's question here in a second. And... Uh, as far as slavery going, even if the Bible was pro-forced slavery, where does he get the where does he get the gahonis to say what is, or where does he get the knowledge to determine what it is if it's wrong or not? How can you objectively say it's wrong? How can you? You can't. And he's lost his complete argument. You can't say that. You've already lost your argument. You have no argument left. It's just based upon how you feel or the general census of people around you. And what does that prove? So you went to a kindergarten class and you polled all the kids in kindergarten class. Is Santa real? And they vote. And they vote, yes, he's real. Yeah, he's real. Santa Claus is real. Does that mean it proves that there is a... Big jolly three hundred pound guy like myself flying around with a with a big white um, beard that can visit two point five billion houses in a seven hour span on Christmas Eve to Christmas Day morning and drop presents inside people's houses. Does that does that manifest truth just because people vote on it or believe a certain thing? Does that 
change the truth. So is now Santa Claus is real? There's floating reindeer and there's elves that's building all the all the toys. Is it does that does that mean how does that make any sense? How does popular opinion make any sense? How does that prove an objective truth? It doesn't. So you can't objectively say, even though the Bible doesn't teach what he's what he thinks it does, the guy doesn't know how to read scripture. It doesn't teach that. But even if it did, where does he get the right to say that? About morality Again. being, uh, it's, it's it being unethical at points when you've already admitted at the start of the show, you don't believe you could know an objective standard, like what Again. is ultimately objective in ethics. You're trying to be too black and white here, and it's not that black No, I'm responding to what you said. No, because what I did say is that we can know morality. No, you we said you said that you can't know that there's what that objective standard is, something that's outside of yourself, outside of your own preferences, or your current position in time or culture. That's something that's objective that exists outside of yourself. You said that you can't know it. I think you're forcing me into a category of your own creation. No, uh, I'm, showing said, the, I'm showing you the inc inconsistency, Brandon. It's not inconsistent. I'm sorry. I um, don't know what the objective standard of morality is, but now I'm going to tell you that the Bible is unethical. But no, Brandon Robertson's first point is that he doesn't you're know. To, you're already trying to win an argument by putting me in a category that I'm rejecting. Uh, he's not trying to win a, he's not trying to win an argument. He, you, you already lost the argument. That's, that's the whole point is that you're, you're like a Skittle commercial. You're a walking contradiction. There's no, there's no argument here. And, and this is the same thing that atheists do. Same thing. Okay, it's the same tired argument they have. Just just watch a debate with uh, you know William Lane Craig or somebody like brings this up against the against atheists. They they have no argument. Okay, well, what's the category you're rejecting? So let's get that on the table. So I'm make saying, sure I represent you properly. What I clearly said is that there might be objective truth. I don't believe that we can know it objectively. You we said you don't know it. That we might not be able to know it objectively. There might be objective truth. But we can't know what objective truth is. That's an objective truth. You're making an, a claim. Another contradiction. He's saying it's too confusing to know what objective truth is. But we might be able to figure it out. Well, it's an objective truth. So do you know it? There are moments where it is clear that humans uh, are moments. united on things like, for instance, most basic command, do not murder. Most human cultures throughout history have come to a conclusion that murder is wrong. How about Stalin? I said most human cultures throughout history and most human cultures rejected communism. Most human cultures look at Hitler today and say, Stalin, Hitler, genocide, wrong. Now, but, but what standard do they believe that? Most five-year-olds think Santa's real. So, the Bible. well, hold on, Brandon. Well, actually, it was it was the Christian worldview and Christian truth and God's wisdom that That's that has that no Christian worldview and Christian truth in the West brought about a foundation and culture of say love your neighbor as you love yourself rather than eat your neighbor. Um, it's Christian truth that ultimately did away. What's going on say, in North with, America? Uh, well, let's just talk about an e the evils in the last uh, two two uh, two hundred years. Whether it's slavery, the slave trade, it was the Christian worldview that did away with the slave trade. Um, Correct. I don't think you can dispute that. I would hope you wouldn't try. Um, there are uh, other cultures that abolish slavery as well. And oh yeah, but, Christi but Christianity abolished on the basis of the revelation of God that everybody is a, cre a creature of the creator. He's the but objective standard. That the, 
the revelation of God doesn't uh, call for the abolition of slavery. It was people taking principles from the scriptures, not the written words of scripture. If they took the written words of scripture, well, you're wrong about that, Brandon. I'm sorry. Uh, what does the Bible well, say about what, what is the, what does the Bible say about kidnapping and enslaving people? There are various teachings. Of no, the Bible. what is it? Well, you, you quoted from Leviticus no, no. in one of your the videos. Bible's so you... not univocal. The Bible's not univocal. The Bible has many contradictory. What does the scripture say no. about kidnapping and enslaving somebody, Brandon? I can tell you that all the way up through the New Testament, there is an endorsement of slavery. Brandon, you don't know. Scripture, scripture teaches yes, very know. explicitly. No, I know. Okay, well, Brandon, well, let me ask you. Let me ask you again. I'll ask you for the third time. What does scripture say about kidnapping and enslaving a person? Since you know. It's which scripture are you talking about? Well, scripture teaches that if you kidnap and enslave somebody, scripture it's worthy. It's what worthy scripture? of the worthy of capital punishment. It's one of the what things scripture? the Christian abolitionists pointed to was the Word of God is the revelation that gives us a basis to fight against slavery. This man is made in the image of God. We're all in one uh, one blood, and uh, God specifically says that if you kidnap and enslave somebody, it deserves a death penalty. It's one of the things the Christian abolitionists were saying uh, to the culture. And I don't believe Jeff brings it up in this conversation, but also if a forced slave from a neighboring country or tribe escapes and enters Israel, then Israel is also to keep him safe harbor and not turn them over and protect them and let them live anywhere they want in Israel. I covered this on my slavery video that I just did for slavery. So it's, it also adds that as well. Brandon, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, and so, but, but all that to say, uh, the, the main point here is that, um, you reject the the word of God as foundational as a reference point, and so the question no, the is: No, not the word of God. So I don't reject the word of God. I reject you reject it as an ultimate reference point. Okay, you think that? Uh, yeah, you 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 have different views on ethics than Scripture gives, and so you no. reject it. Um, well, you said not that already. I accept many parts of the Bible. Yeah, some. So so who, what's just just so we all understand here, what's the determining factor for Brandon Robertson? So you say you believe the word. Now this is key, and this is important. Okay, so he's asking him a very important question. Listen to his answer. So, you don't believe all of the Bible is the Word of God, only some of it. So, how can you decipher? How can you decipher what in the Bible? It's not based upon papyri or the transmission of the text, none of that, because he'll lose that argument. He'll lose that argument badly. He's not going to be able to say, well, the scripture that, that you read right now in Leviticus will compare the Dead Sea Scrolls and, and uh, you know other writings, earliest papyri that we have of Leviticus up until the you know the first few centuries. We'll compare those writings in Leviticus to your belief, and we'll see if there's a contradiction. He'll lose that. So he has to go from an outside source. So the historical record doesn't support his case. The transmission of the text won't support his case. It won't at all. You know, the Jewish Targums, how they defined on what the Bible meant in the Old Testament at that time, the Torah, the Tanakh, all that. So he, he won't be able to find anything that, that contradicts that stance. Let's see how he answers. God, use words like kingdom of God, law of God in your heart. But wherever you dislike a teaching in Scripture, you say, I don't agree with that. Is the Thank reference God point, is the reference point, Brandon? I that I do that. 
What's thank that? God that I do that. Thank God that I do that. And thank God many and most Christians do that. Thank God that I do that. Thank God that I decide what is God's word or not. Thank God that I decide what God's words is or not. And then he says, many Christians also do that. Thank God. This is utter blasphemy. This is from the pit of hell. This is demonic. This is satanic. It's what it is. God is so serious about sin that he sent his eternal son to die and rise again for it. That's how serious God is about sin. Sin by nature is the exact opposite of God himself. So for the eternal son, Christ, the one who created all things, Colossians, the creator of the heavens and the earth, Jesus Christ, for him to take on human flesh and be born of the Holy Spirit through the Virgin Mary and for him to die and rise again for all sins when he committed no wrong, that is the level and the extent of God's wrath against sin to wipe it out. And for you to determine what is God's word and what, what is sin or not is blasphemous to the umph degree. I think a lot of the positions politically and socially that you advocate for are reprehensible. I think there are many. But you don't know. You don't know there's an objective standard of morality, Brandon. So that's a meaningless argument Correct. against oh, me. See, again, you've already given to... it up. If I, if I, if, no. if, if I, if yeah. I could, if I could uh, yes. say something. All right. Here. So here, when, when I here's James White. This is the new voice. If you're listening on my podcast, online land podcast, thank you for being here. This is now James White, Doctor James White, um, and. Let's hear what he has to say. Heard you uh, many years ago, uh, yep. Brandon. Um, you still profess some sort of level of uh, fealty to Jesus Christ as Lord. Yes, um, still do. Okay. Um, can you find anywhere where Jesus Christ took your view of Scripture? Yeah. I think time and time again, Jesus, the way he dealt with Scripture, would have gotten kicked out of first semester of Bible college hermeneutics class. How so? Jesus says, takes the Hebrew Bible time and time again and says, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. And he changes the scripture. In so, whoa, 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 whoa. That's, everybody in the audience knows that's not true. He, he did not no, change. Changes the scripture. <laughs> but he quotes it correctly, right? But he changes it. Any scripture, he Wait, said, he you have heard it said, and what he's quoting is the traditions right. of the Jews. No, he quotes actual passages from the Hebrew Bible. And he does not change the text. Yes, he, he takes it takes it deeper. This is this is where do you do you still believe in the deity of Christ? Yes, of course. Why? Because I have an experience of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ saved my soul as a 12-year-old boy, and I continue to follow Jesus and encounter Jesus. I believe that Jesus is God. So the scriptures as a whole are what testify to the idea that Jesus is God, but you believe Jesus... So James James White's already already uh, checkmated him here. Already checkmated him, because James White's saying that the Old Testament proclaims who Jesus is. So he, you believe in the deity of Christ, which means you believe that Jesus Christ is God, he's the second person of the Trinity. He said yes. 
So you came to that conclusion, you had to have come to that conclusion based upon the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament is what proclaims Jesus. And we read that in the end of the book of Luke, by the way, that Jesus showed the showed everyone that the scriptures were about him. That's what Stephen used to debate in the book of Acts before he was martyred. That's what Paul used because the new most of the New Testament hadn't even been written yet. Galatians is probably the first book ever written. And Paul hadn't wrote it yet, not that I'm aware of at that time. And that's what Paul used was the Old Testament. So obviously they're using the scripture, the Old Testament that we call it now, to support the deity of Christ, that Messiah is the Son of God, the Son of Man prophesied in the Old Testament. I believe it's the book of Daniel, which has deity implications. That's what he's got him here. So how did you come to that conclusion? Well, he says again, just like he uses what he determines what scripture is and what sin is, it is Brandon Robertson is the ultimate authority. Because of an experience? I would say both scripture, tradition, reason, and now experience. Now he goes back to scripture. All, I would say all of those things come together to lead me to the conclusion that Jesus is the incarnation of God. Okay, so when Jesus quotes the scriptures to the Sadducees, for example, uh-huh. and bases his argument upon the tense of a verb and specifically identifies those words as having been spoken by God, and yet you say no scripture is not the word of God, and yet Jesus says it's spoken oh. by God. And what he I held, said, well, okay, I you, said some scripture is not, uh, the, is not given by inspiration of God. I also reject the idea, I think Jesus is the word of God, not the Bible, and so I reject the way that you're using the phrase word of God, but oh, that's okay. Whole... okay, so, um, when you when you specifically say I'm going to follow Jesus. And yet Jesus holds men accountable for mm. what is found in the written scriptures that were written 1,400 years Some before they came along. Some of them. Okay, so where do you get the standard then? That Did, did Jesus give you a standard somewhere as to how to figure out what from the from scriptures you're going to believe and not believe? The life and teachings of Jesus, first and foremost, are my foundation for my no, faith, spirituality, ethics, that's where I would point to first and foremost as somebody who, follow, who identifies as a follower of Jesus. Now, Jesus, if you actually examine honestly and critically the way that Jesus uses scripture throughout the four gospels, again, he would have been critiqued by fundamentalists. I don't understand how you all wouldn't critique Jesus. For instance, when he quotes, um, he stands up in the synagogue, unravels the scroll of Isaiah and pronounces, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Right. He quotes the whole scripture and then he stops. Right before it says, and the great and dreadful day of the Lord, talking about the judgment of God. Multiple times throughout the scripture, Jesus would take what I would argue would be a more progressive approach. He quotes scriptures that negate things of uh, that are okay. talking now about here's, the here's, here's, an, here's an obvious problem. Good grief. A really yeah. plain, right. obvious problem. First of all, he holds the scriptures and views them as the very words of God because Authority. he says, these, no. today these things are fulfilled in your ears. And then he stops, and and then he stops where he stops, because that is yet a future fulfillment. There is a partial fulfillment in him. You're making it impossible for there to be such thing as prophecy. Do you believe Jesus was prophesied in the scriptures? What I think, the way that I think you're interpreting. So he's about to say something here that is just absolutely blows my mind. So I guess he would also reject the part in the book of Acts where Isaiah 
where the uh, Ethiopian is reading Isaiah and he's he's approached by Philip, led by the Holy Spirit, where he gets baptized after reading Isaiah. He's about to say that I remember this part pretty pretty vividly. I think this is the part, anyways, where um, Isaiah is Isaiah fifty three is not about Jesus. Now listen, I did this video before. It's in my library. I don't remember what the video is called, but it's like the Pepsi challenge. I'm old guy, okay? I'm old guy. I'm forty two. There used to be a popular commercial growing up where Pepsi would take a uh, the Pepsi challenge where you would have to decipher what drink was Pepsi. Was it a knockoff? Was it diet? And all this other stuff. And it, of course, through this challenge, you were supposed to uh, you know find the, the best drink and it so happened to be Pepsi by a blind taste test. It's called the Pepsi challenge. Um, you can do this with anything, right? Well, I've done this before, and I actually I have a, a bunch of atheist buddies, and they don't know anything about the Bible. I mean, zero. Zero. They don't know if Moses and Noah is in the Old Testament or the New. They probably they know who Jesus is, obviously, but that's about the extent. They could probably name a few books just based upon... Um, music or something else that somebody's mentioned it. I read them Isaiah 53. And I wanted to hear their reaction. Read Isaiah 53. And I asked them, who do they think it was talking about? And they said, Jesus. And this was the beginning, this was the belief up until this, to, the, to the, the later temple periods of the Jews that this was the, the Messiah uh, passage, by the way. Now, Jews post-Christianity who are anti-Christian, anti-Jesus, now don't hold that view. But if you go before then, the earliest Jewish sources support this view as well, that it's about the Messiah or the, you know, the, the coming Messiah, who we now know as Jesus. But go read it. Just read it yourself. Find a, find a skeptic, a, a non-Christian, and have them read it and just ask them who it's about. Okay? Now, that doesn't prove it. But it does prove that it's the glaring obstacle that he's going to try to just jump to here in a second. And when the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, this happened to be one of the most studied scrolls ever because it is so blatantly obvious about Jesus that some people thought before it was found that it was a forgery. But the Dead Sea Scrolls predate the time of Christ by two, three hundred years. And the Isaiah 53 scroll is what we have today. Sure is, again, not how Jesus would have interpreted it or any Jewish reader of the Jewish scriptures would have interpreted it. I think this is one of the biggest problems with fundamentalist Christianity is that it reads back into the Hebrew Bible prophecies that weren't meant to be prophecies. Which Jesus said was all about him and not Luke. about Jesus. Except, oh, except, except, I'm sorry, Brandon, except, <laughs> except. The, on the road to Emmaus, yeah. Jesus, yeah. the resurrected Lord, chastises the uh, these disciples yeah. on the road to Emmaus. Right. He calls them yeah. foolish, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. And then what does it say takes place, Brandon? Is that the Lord of glory, the one you say you follow, took them through the Old Testament and all the places that it spoke about him. Moses and all the prophets. You're denying that that took place. Jesus well, first, did that. 
Yeah, so my fat mouth spoke over. He does say Isaiah 53 is not about Jesus. And then he just, he got him checkmated here because in the Gospels, Jesus does say, well, this prophecy is being fulfilled before you as of right now. And he is fulfilling a prophecy in the Old Testament, which Brandon does not accept. See why he's popular on TikTok? See? Because that is a group of people who are young and don't have any discipline, don't have any um, bearings in their church, and they just watch a 30-second video and they base their whole epistemology and theology on that. That's why. Miscellaneous expenses. Tax worries. <laughs> what tax act you filed... All right, back from the commercial, and we're back from the commercial, and let's continue. Okay, a couple things here. First and foremost, we don't know what scriptures Jesus quoted in that uh, passage, so it's a bit of a strange argument to try to use an ambiguous passage that says Jesus looked at all of the law and the prophets not. and talked about where they spoke of him. But second of all, when we go, when we're taking the Hebrew Bible and we try to read back in Christian understandings, one... It's an ahistorical, unscholarly approach to understanding what the Hebrew Bible is. It's offensive and borders on anti-Semitic. So would, the writer, would anti you call the writer of Hebrews anti-Semitic? I think the writer of Hebrews is terribly problematic in many ways, yes. Okay, so he did what you... So he rejects the book of Hebrews. <laughs> this guy's a clown. You're saying you, you shouldn't do, and that's that he took the, the scriptures from the Old Testament and showed the fulfillment of Jesus Christ. The Gospel according to Matthew is chocked full in both direct quotation and allusion to Old Testament passages of the fulfillment that Jesus Christ brought in his life and death and now resurrection. He, now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in mm -hmm. the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Do you think that's just Luke uh, throwing that in there and the Jews didn't say that? Yes, most likely. Okay, yeah, so on what basis? There you go. Woo! On what basis, Brandon? Because you think so? Well, you, you, you No, because you... So, that's not true. That's not what Luke wrote. That's his answer. When he has no manuscript evidence to support that. We have manuscript evidence to support. That's what Luke wrote. <laughs> None. Know this. Um, my mentor, my dear mentor, John Dominic Crossan in the Jesus Seminar, has done extensive, uh, extensive uh, research into the historicity of the sayings of Jesus. And the broad consensus outside of conservative Christian scholarship is that a majority of uh, the teachings in, for instance, John. Do you hear that? So conservative Christian scholarship is not real scholarship, is basically what he's saying. He's saying that we have a bias. Yeah, we're the ones that follow the manuscripts. We're the ones... I mean, you can look up early church fathers quoting the scripture and compare it to the manuscripts we have today. That's one way you can do it, and it's pretty good. It's pretty close. Especially under all the circumstances. Even the Didache, like the wrote in the early... The first century has scripture already quoted in it. You can compare it. There's no, there's no manuscript evidence that supports his claim that Luke didn't really write that. But he admits it. It's Brandon's belief. 
are not historical teachings of Jesus Christ. But we do you have a manuscript that demonstrates that? There Where's you your manuscript yeah. evidence? We have the Gospel of Mark. And if you look at the Jesus Seminar and the West Star Institute, anybody who's interested can do a simple Google search. We, we all know. So no, no, no manuscript evidence that Luke didn't really write that. Note of that. So we don't have any. But look at the look at the Gospel of Mark and go through our interpretation of it to prove it. That's circular reasoning, Brandon. That's circular reasoning. that there is an external source that's posited that was of the sayings of Jesus that were used by gospel writers to compile the gospel accounts. Um, so, and, yeah. Uh, did you ever listen to the debate that uh, I did. Dom and I did? Okay, all right. Uh, wonderful guy. Uh, he really is. Um, and yet the foundation of his perspective is really one that starts with a rejection of the entire history of Christian interpretation of Scripture. So, for example, when we look at uh, when we look at the, the key passages that sort of frame the discussion that we I thought we were going to be having in regards to what the Scripture says on sexual morality and ethics, um, I would I would assume then if you're if you're that radical in your perspective, you're making that sound like it's a mainstream thing. But obviously, a Jesus seminar is extremely extremely radical. Um, oh, it is. Oh, it, it's very true. It's yeah, very absolutely. true. Absolutely. Okay. Name me. Name me. Um, anybody. And name me anybody uh, before the 1700s that held their views. The reason that most of the manuscripts that we do modern uh, scholarship, biblical, biblical scholarship on. So he can't give any manuscript evidence to support his view of Luke not writing that. But now he's going to try to appeal to manuscript evidence. <laughs> <laughs> didn't exist before the 1700s it had nothing to brandon it had nothing to do with the manuscripts that have been found name, name yeah. me okay what one manuscript is is important here what, what i'm saying here no you're I'm, I'm sorry zero you can put Dom, me on this you're, john you're win. dominant john dominant cross and i would probably have very few disagreements as to the relevance of specific manuscripts. That's, that has nothing to do with it. The point is, it's a worldview that right. has come in that rejects the idea that right. God can speak consistently. And it did, it's yes, not I historically would, Jewish or Christian. You've got, you've got you, to admit that. What I will, I will give you this. I do think you're exactly right to a degree that up until the Enlightenment, up until the scientific period where we have these new methods of understanding and coming to understandings of the truth, the way people did study of anything was, in a way, what we would consider today archaic and wrong and led to many wrong conclusions. And I do think that is the result of so much of wrong, what but I don't know how things is are wrong. An inability wrong. to historically and critically examine the scriptures and let the truth be the truth wherever it leads you to do it. You well, have a preset of set of beliefs that you need to be true when you engage with your. Oh, community. and and Brandon, and, let's and, be honest, and so do you, and so do you. That question here is is. Whose presuppositions and pre-commitments are actually in accordance with the truth? And so when you talk about things yeah, like what is well, yeah, and when you talk about things like science and you talk about things like logic and all the rest, Brandon, I would challenge you, you've you've given all that up because you have a worldview that is ultimately and I'll give this, I'll give this to you. You, I believe, look at the scriptures and whatever fits with your own personal likes and preferences you accept Wrong. and whatever disagrees, Wrong. I think right. whatever disagrees with your lusts man. and all your pursuits, that's what you reject. You and and hold on, just Brandon, I'll let you talk right after this. 
And I think because you've given up the scriptures as an ultimate foundation and reference point, you don't even have a basis to appeal to science because you don't have a worldview that provides a foundation for science, the scientific method. You don't have a worldview that comports with laws of logic as necessary or universal, and you certainly don't have a worldview that comports with the claim that something is right or wrong ethically. You've already given that up. No, I haven't. And I want to pull back, though, before I respond to that specifically, because the one thing that I've heard from both of you consistently, you more recently, Jeff, and then Dr. White, throughout the years, the videos you've made responding to me, both of you have acted as if I began my spiritual journey uh, with a desire to not have fidelity to Christ or the gospel. And yes, Dr. I've Ray, never you... made that claim. No, I said yeah. uh, the first thing I said, uh, and I've said this a number of times. So when I first listened yeah. to you, one of the first comments I made was I heard fundamental weaknesses. And I said, this man will not remain orthodox. And I was right. I mean, you've got to admit that between... It's not a prophetic ability, Dr. White. It's because He's not claiming that. He's not claiming that. I wasn't claiming it. I'm not saying it's a... It was sarcastic, guys. Okay. What I'm talking about is merely the fact that I was, as a Moody Bible Institute student, I was introduced to scholars who were willing to historically examine the Christian faith. Yes, I think it's pretty obvious when I was willing to ask questions and not just fall in line with fundamentalist rigidity and say, this is what's true because this is what my church says is true or my tradition says is true. Yes, obviously, anybody who goes down that path is going to end up questioning the fundamental uh, beliefs of fundamentalist Christianity. And thanks be to God that I did. Can I ask you a personal question, though, about that? Because I appreciate appreciate you sharing that. And I think... So this is the part in the debate where it really gets hammered in. And this is what the Book of Romans says... This is what the scripture says. I don't know if he supports the book of Romans or not, but this is what it says that, you know, people will basically give up anything and everything to chase their own lusts if they don't repent. That's what happens. Happened actually, Brandon, is, you, is you've become an apostate. I don't think you started that way. I think you had a... a, a a initial profession of faith, you you had commitments, and I think now you're an apostate because you deny God's word, and and His word is the foundation of all of what is true and lovely and wise. But you, and this is a personal question, you don't have to answer it, but it's it's you're bringing it up, so I'll ask it. I've watched your videos. You have admitted to struggling with with homosexual desires and lusts before you fell into apostasy, correct? And by the way, I have a brother. That I talked to, he'll probably watch this video, that has overcome homosexuality through Christ. And what a powerful statement that is, that the blood of Christ, the redemption, and the change of a lifestyle that my brother has done is a testimony to the power of the blood of Christ. How, How beautiful and wonderful that is. You know, and uh, we all struggle with sexual sin. All sexual sin is the same, unless it's between a husband and a wife. It's all porneia, Greek word porneia. It's all of it. And this includes people who have sex before they're married. Yeah. I don't care if it's heterosexual sex. If it's not married sex, it's porneia. It's a sin. It's a sinful lifestyle. It is not in God's order. 
And you must repent. And you must not live that way anymore. So, for anyone to come out of, no, but this video is about homosexuality. For anybody, any brother or sister that's come out of that, and the brother that I know that's come out of that, and we met, we text each other all the time. All the time. It's beautiful. And it's, and it's something that needs to be talked about, and it's something that needs to be celebrated. Because Paul celebrates it. In 1 Corinthians, such were some of you. In the very one of the very first Christian churches built by Paul in the church Corinth, written to the church Corinth, Corinthians, such were some of you. It's beautiful. And this man is teaching people that they don't need that change in their life, and they're denying that change. He's denying that from people. He's leading them astray. This is what Jesus meant when he says, if you harm my little ones, the Greek word is technon, which does mean child. I believe the context, he's referring to children of God and the little children as well. Why not both? It's better for you to tie a milestone to your neck and throw it in water. That's what he is doing. Somebody might find it in their hearts that I do need to repent of this lifestyle. And he will tell them that we're just old fogies and we don't understand. And they'll continue that lifestyle because he'll plant that seed in their heart. That hateful, sinful seed. He will pay for this. And we're going to pray for him at the end of this video because that's what the Bible tells us to do. Just like we prayed for Jake Paul and others on my podcast. We're going to pray for those our enemies, because he is an enemy of the gospel. Yeah. Okay. So there was something going on in your life he on says, a personal yes, it level, is. things that you were desiring and wanted that were coinciding with no. your deconversion, your falling into apostasy. First, I mean, I obviously reject that I uh, have fallen into apostasy or deconverted. You, um, you deny scripture as the ultimate foundation of life. You are an apostate. You are an apostate. You teach. Brandon, I'll say this with respect to you because you're in the image of God. I want to respect the image of God in you and respect you and be friendly to you. But you teach others to entertain their lusts, satisfy, satisfy their lusts, things that God explicitly condemns in his word. And so I love you in, in Jesus' name. But you are an apostate, you are a deceiver, and, and you reject the word of God. And, and let's be honest, Brandon is the reference point. You are the reference no. point. Jeff, I, I appreciate you saying your perspective. I obviously disagree. It doesn't matter to me. I'm not interested in playing the orthodoxy game. You know that. I we're just that. bringing, we're, we're talking about scripture. But the way you interpret scripture is not the way the majority of Christians... Okay, let me ask you this. Well, let's, do it. let's make sure that we're all clear with each other here so we don't get muddy. Uh, Ken, is it is it is it an ethical thing? Is it good to have sex with animals today? No. Who says? It. People do it, me, Brandon. People do it. People people are being arrested today for doing it. I think Spain. I think, I think Spain just made who said? It. Spain just made it legal, no. didn't it? Who says? No. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Who says, Brandon? Why can't I have sex with animals in a new covenant? We need to get down to a definition of sin, which I base off of Jesus' own teachings. I believe sin is anything that harms me, harms others, or harms God's creation. Which verse is that? 
I base that off of love the Lord your God with all your Zero. heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as Thank yourself. Thank you for that, Brandon, because Jesus said that those two commandments are what all the law and the all prophets the are built upon, including not having sex with animals and other men, Brandon. And I disagree. I don't believe having sex with other men, one, is clearly condemned in the Bible. We can get there. And two, I using the basic standard of does it harm me, does it harm another, or does it harm God's creation, which is how I define sin, I would say, no, you can't make a case that homosexuality is harmful to anybody. Leviticus 18, that law that is about loving God and loving your neighbor, Jesus defined that. You say you believe in him. Let's go to what he said. All the law and the prophets would include Leviticus 18, which says in one verse, well, I'll let you, I'll let you respond though, Brandon. In one verse, in one verse, it says you should not lie with a man as you do a woman. And the next verse says you should not have sex with an animal. So you Uh like the, you should not have sex with an animal, but because of your lust and your desires, you want to reject the other one. No, because I've actually spent the last decade and a hundred thousand dollars going into student debt to study <gasps> this particular oh, you topic have? Uh, on sexuality in the Bible. I've come to the conclusion that Leviticus 18 is not talking about oh. loving consensual same-sex relationships in the okay. way that we're talking about it in the modern world. Okay, so let me let, let me ask <laughs> you want to waste when you say grand. loving same-sex uh, relationships. Yep. Um, but you don't believe that the Bible is clear enough to actually define what loving is. First of all, I, you didn't use monogamous, Again. which is interesting. Um, so, because most people use that, that is terminology. And yet that Leviticus 18 text is not just about Israel. It's, it, it's about other nations and they were, they were cast out of the land. I, I've always, since I have one shot here, maybe, maybe you'll be the first person to do it. If you believe Jesus was God, then when he preached and taught, there were homosexuals in front of him, right? New oral sour liquid solution for sore teeth and inflamed gum. All right. Sorry for the, the dentist commercial. All right. Let's continue. There would have been. We're less than 5% of the population, James. Well, did you catch that? We. Did you catch that? We. We are less. We are less than 5%. When he asked them about um, homosexuals that were probably around Christ. And this is an interesting question that James asks him here. Uh, depends on, it depends on the generation, it seems, from what I'm well, seeing God. recently. Um, but uh, but the point is, there would have been not only homosexuals, but um, uh, transgender folks um, and, and all the different d- genders. And all, there would have been lots of these people. He's talking to thousands not and thousands of people. Of people. Well, they're, but not, they're okay. Yeah. If Jesus was God, he knew they were there. He knew they were there, right? Yes, I absolutely do believe he knows he's there. And yet he never said a word to overturn the unanimous understanding, because I don't think you could show me anyone before Jesus or for hundreds of years after Jesus in Judaism that understood uh, anything about monogamous, loving, same-sex relationships. Yeah, so it's not just the Bible. So you can go find like the Targum of Jonathan. They got all these ancient Jewish Targums where they wrote about in-depth breakdowns of the scripture. And that's what James is referencing here. Where you can go, you can read these online, go look them up. Just type in Jewish Targums. And you can listen to these ancient rabbis break down scripture. In the Old Testament. None of them hold this position at all. So... Where it's changed. So in the future, when when Jesus is there, how come he didn't overturn the unanimous understanding about 
sexuality is supposed to be between a husband and a wife. He doesn't have an answer. They all went back Leviticus 18. They all went back Leviticus 20. They all, they all looked at these things in the same way. So why didn't Jesus set them free? Because he knew they were there. And you know how far of an argument that is, James? There are so many things Jesus doesn't address, so many people Jesus doesn't address. That doesn't mean that Jesus is making a statement about the rightness or wrongness because he doesn't address a group of people or a certain practice or whatever. What, that's not in all in, in But notice, that's not what James' claim is. James' claim is how come it's not overturned? If you're saying that it has been overturned and that it's changed... Why didn't Jesus say that it was changed? And why there's no manuscript evidence support this change? Why is there has no historical evidence? Early, any early church fathers? Anybody writing about this? Why? He doesn't say Jesus has to, to uh, address every single type of person. He's saying that you're making the claim that that's not what it teaches. And it's been changed. Where is the evidence? There is none. In three years worth of preaching, because we only have a small portion, but in three years worth of preaching, Jesus never says a positive word whatsoever. In fact, he says the law is good and the law is right and that the person who teaches you to, to, to not observe the least of these things is least in the kingdom of heaven, all these things. Three years, he doesn't say a single word to allegedly promote your, your perspective that seems highly likely we're talking of less than five percent of the population why there are so many things that jesus doesn't speak about i, I just don't understand why you would okay who else who, that's a strong argument. uh brandon uh do you want as a follower of jesus as you claim do you want to hold to jesus view of the law Yes, but I think we disagree on what Jesus' view of the law is. Okay, we well, I'll give the quotation, Matthew 5, 17, because you were there. Uh, the very text that it actually militates against your interpretation, because at the beginning of that text that you, you tried to quote there about, you've heard that it said, Matthew five seventeen, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The word there is menamasete in the Greek, do not even begin to think. Do not even yep. begin to think that I've come to abolish the law. And he says, like Pastor James said there, that whoever teaches you to disobey even the least of these will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them. Which law was he referring to there? Jesus is speaking of the law of Moses, the law of the Hebrew Bible. Right, the, the law, law of Moses says that you can't have sex with a man, Brandon. No, it doesn't, actually. Leviticus 18 is not a condemnation of broad, loving, consensual, same-sex relationships. You're adding those words, but the text no, actually but, has rules no, there right they, before. It has rules about... Yeah, I'm going to give you something to shoot at. Has rules there. Well, I know. Laws. So, broad loving homosexuality is what it's it's uh not addressing. Oh, what about the animals? What if you broadly love the goat or the calf or the cow or the pig, and then you believe the pig broadly loves you? I mean, that's okay then. They didn't bring this point up in the debate. I don't think. But so that but there's no disclaimer there. That is adding to the scripture. And you're basing it off of your own heart and feelings, by the way, which the Bible in Jeremiah says is deceitful, unless you don't believe that the book of Jeremiah is now authentic either. And if you don't, then you're obviously just picking and choosing what you want to believe because you can't substantiate that claim that, that the uh, 
book of Jeremiah is not scripture at all either. It's just what you want it to be. He's not, he's not going to be left with anything besides what he has left, which is a false teaching, a false Jesus, a false gospel. Having sex with relatives, it has laws against having sex with other men. It has laws against having sex with animals. Consider me a deceiver. The way that you are weaving around. Well, I'm just I'm laying it down to everyone here. So go ahead and take a shot at it. It's very simple. Leviticus 18 verses one, two, and three talks about it has God speaking and says, "These are laws for the people of Israel. Do not do like they do in the land of Egypt. Do not do like they do in the land of Canaan." So what is happening? The list of commands that we have in Leviticus 18 are a list of practices that were apparently common in Canaan and Egypt. Do a brief study, please, historically, about whether homosexuality and uh, homosexual relationships in the way that I'm advocating for them were common in Egypt or in Canaan, and you'll find, no, they were not. So what is, and then we look at the context of each of those verses, um, and I think Leviticus 18.20 says, as you already quoted at the very beginning of this uh, show, a man, uh, do not sacrifice your child to Molech, for this is an abomination. The next verse down is, do not lie with a man as with a woman, for this I is an abomination. I did a video on that, by the and way. And we go into bestiality. The context is, these are practices that are taking place in Canaan and Egypt. We have no evidence that there was widespread, consensual, homosexual couples, relationships, families in those cultures. But we do have a preponderance of evidence of exploitative practices. You already know these arguments, that there were both... Uh, relationships between those who were enslaved in ancient patriarchal cultures where men were allowed to have sex with male slaves uh, and it was a way of asserting their dominance. We also do know, few and far between in Egyptian and Canaanite culture, we don't know that much about the ancient Canaanite culture, but there is some evidence that shows that there were temple prostitutions, there were uh, sexual sacrifices made to appease gods and goddesses. So it seems, based on the culture, the historical analysis of Leviticus 18, that whatever's being referred to in verse 22 is not a broad condemnation of gay male relationships because there weren't those uh, with any frequency in ancient Canaanite or Egyptian culture. But instead, where we do see men having sex with other men are in exploitative and idolatrous circumstances. And it seems to me that that would be something that God would condemn. But you just admitted that we don't know very much. Obviously, you're talking about many, many thousands of years ago, so there's a very limited amount of information. Isn't it right. more relevant that in the New Testament we have apostles of Jesus Christ, and you may not you may not even believe that these are words of Scripture. It's quite possible from what you've said. But when Paul writes to Timothy and he lays out the goodness of the law and he starts working through the Ten Commandments, when he gets the commandment against adultery, he specifically utilizes two terms, pornois arsenicoites, mm-hmm. sexually immoral persons and arsenicoites. So yeah. here is an apostle, yeah. and he is now much closer to us in time than mm-hmm. any uh, research you might do in some type of, I mean, Egyptian, <laughs> Egyptian sexuality was pretty wild. But... Um, so here's Paul, and he and yeah. So to keep so for reference, the Egyptians also would they would tell the men to masturbate and ejaculate on the ground so you could get fertile land. Okay, so I, I don't understand how this makes any application to what Moses wrote in Leviticus. There's no, there's no application at all. 
The whole point was for Israel to be separated. And again, he's basing his whole argument off on saying that a loving relationship would trump this rule. Well, again, well then what about a loving relationship? Because it's in the same section. It's like literally a the verse before and a verse after. What about a, a loving relationship with a man and his relative, like his mother? How disgusting and dirty is that? Oh, but they really love each other. Or what about with an animal? Like, wh how come the homosexual one it gets a trump out of all that? Many other ones don't. It's because it fits his lifestyle and his struggle. And instead of admitting and repenting of his struggle, he twists and burns scripture to fit his lifestyle. And then James brings up the point, well, let's 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 go way past that. Let's go to even closer source to us and time, which is today in 2023. And that's what Paul wrote in Timothy. Of course, in a corte. And porneia, homosexuals. Sex besides a husband and a wife. So let's use them, let's use that as a source, because that's even closer. If you want to talk about Canaanites and Egyptians and all this other stuff. Let's go to an earlier source from an apostle, the Apostle Paul. And he expands on that commandment. Sexually immoral <laughs> persons and homosexuals. So no. was Paul... Inaccurate. I'm sorry? That's an inaccurate interpretation of Arsenokoitai. Okay, since it comes from the two Leviticus terms 18. that are used in Leviticus 18 and 20. Right. And... Paul may be the first one to use it. There's one other possible text that it, it's it's disputable, but maybe he borrowed it from a, a Jewish source or something like that. But it's what men do with men in bed. In fact, to quote the Leviticus passage, lies with a male as one lies with a female. So this is sexual intercourse. It's, it has nothing to do with all the all the context around it. It is the actual act. So every place else where we would interpret Paul, it doesn't matter what other, other text it would be, we would look at the Septuagint first for the meaning of where he's drawing his, his uh, theology and his terminology. Okay. So how do you... The Greek, Greek Septuagint, where the majority of what is quoted in the New Testament from the Old Testament is the Greek Septuagint. So that is the standard that Dr. White is, is pinning him on. How did the Greek Septuagint, which is what the apostles quoted, I mean, they quoted others, other uh, other um, translations, but that is the majority text for sure. And he's pinning them on it. And of course, there's no way out. You get to something other than what men do with men in bed from Leviticus 18 and 20 as interpreted by the Apostle Paul. With hundreds uh, of design options, we fit your style. Game on. Sorry about that. All right, here we go. To me, this is the easiest question. Um, you just heard how I understand Leviticus 18. I don't think Leviticus 18 is referring to all sexual relationships between men of all statuses in all cultures and all contexts. I believe it's, it believe it's referring to practices in Canaan and Egypt, and that the prohibitions in Leviticus 18 are primarily ritual and cultural, not primarily ethical. So we have a list of things that debatably there are things in Leviticus 18 that some people would consider immoral, some might not consider ethically immoral. Paul quotes back to Leviticus 18, despite the fact that there are over about 16, 
give or take words in Koine Greek that refer to a variety of homosexual relationships, homosexual sex, because it was much more prevalent in the Greco-Roman world. Paul uses none of the words that his hearers would have readily understood as homosexual relationships. Instead, he hearkens back to Leviticus 18 to say, I'm condemning a very specific, unique practice that's taking place. So he quotes, I think, I think uh, Jeff and James make this point. I'm not certain. I'm not trying to steal the thunder or anything. So he's criticizing Paul for quoting the Old Testament to hammer a point and not using another word that was more common. You mean a a uh, highly studied uh, Jewish scholar who converted to Christianity and had his life threatened and spread the word and debated other debated Jews in synagogues and temples and everything else? You mean he would refer to the Old Testament as his source of authority? Who would have thunk it, Brandon? Wow, wow! I mean, you got him there. points back to Leviticus 18, not a common practice where there's a ton of other words that he could have used. There are, this is a I don't horrible argument. folks with your view get around the fact that yeah, Paul is trying to speak to the broadest audience possible. It's a Rubik's Cube, right? never uses the words that the audience on this one, on this issue, would never, doesn't use the words that his audience would have understood to be homosexual. Yeah, he chooses or the Old Testament. It, surprise, it surprises you, Brandon, that he's using a biblical word? Okay, there you go. All right, he does say it. It surprises me. That what he's condemning is not a broad cultural. That he's quoting. You you admit he's quoting. He's quoting Leviticus. It surprises you that an inspired yeah, apostle like, sent from Yahweh okay. would quote so, from God's right, words. But I think I think what's important here though is you're the one that said it is your interpretation of Leviticus eighteen and twenty. Can you give me any contemporary Jewish interpretation of Leviticus eighteen and twenty from five hundred years before Jesus to five hundred years after that agrees with yours? I don't think you can show me any ancient Levitical interpretation uh, from the first century or right before or right after that condemns anything akin to modern, loving, consensual, same-sex Okay, so, you're, so you, are, you are creating a category. No. And reading it into history. No, you're reading you're, it into history when no. the text simply says, you shall, you shall, wait, wait a minute. Romans chapter one describes homosexual sex as two men desiring one another. That you cannot define a homosexual relationship outside that those parameters. You're the one going, oh, it's about these exploitive things. And nope. my, my little category over here is the one thing it's not talking about. When the because it didn't exist in the ancient world. The concept of sexuality did not exist. It's a 19th century concept. So how can you read back into an ancient first century text something that didn't because exist? Because mankind is still mankind and still made in the image of God and still sins in the same way. Unlike you, we allow the word of God to define those Correct. categories. And the word of God specifically says, you shall not have sex with a man as you do a woman. It doesn't give you any little outs Unless, of course, you're like really committed or you're really going to, you know, try to be monogamous, even though that's extremely rare and all the rest of that kind of stuff. It's not um, extremely rare, first of all. You don't know the gay community. And second of all, this goes back to what Jeff critiqued me for last week, which is uh, on the topic of hermeneutics. You said that I was being deceptive because I said evangelicals don't do the historical right. cultural. You don't. This is Now, I will say this. Brandon does bring up a fair point here. Um, James believes he understands the gay community by, by an understanding that it's in sin and that they need to repent and they need to come to Jesus. Now, of course that's true, 
after I have spoken with um, ex-homosexuals, particularly the one who I was mentioned earlier, there are massive problems that the uh, the church has when it does try to reach out to homosexuals who are trying to come into the faith, where they are harshly... Um, I don't want to use the word judge because it is righteously judgment. You are telling them that they're in sin, but they're not um, welcoming them with open arms. As, again, remember, Paul's first church had ex-homosexuals, which means, and murderers, which means when they walked foot into their first step into the church, they were a homosexual before they repented. Okay. So there is some room for improvement for um, Christian churches to be there for people who are struggling with this. All right. Because not only do they are they struggling with this, but they also have the world telling them that it's okay. Where months are separated for it and pride and flags where they took our rainbow flag or our rainbow symbol and turned it into a flag of their of their sexual um, perversion. That's a Christian, Judeo-Christian symbol. Yeah. So they have the world blowing their sails, pushing their sails down the, down their, their sea of confusion. I'm trying to sound poetic. Did it work? But that's what, the, that's what they got working against them. You should have compassion and love. It should be stern with them as far as, yes, the lifestyle is sinful, also, have compassion and love. That's how you do it. So he does bring up a fair point here. Okay? But both of them are right. The Christian church should do a better job. We should do a better job. And again, if you are a Christian, listen to this, and you want to scream from the hills that homosexuality is a sin, and it is... Yet you are in a heterosexual sexual relationship with your girlfriend or boyfriend and not married. You're in sexual sin as well, my brother. Okay? If we're going to call it the way it is. So, and the person who I've spoken with says that that is glaringly obvious in the churches that he's went to. Where they do find out he's an ex-homosexual and he does feel uncomfortable. and But there are people who are making him uncomfortable who are not married but living together in a sexual relationship. Okay? Both can be true. Let's continue. Really? Really? So I'm sitting here reading from the Greek Septuagint. Okay, and I'm, I'm looking, and I'm looking at, and I'm looking at the Hebrew, and you're saying we're not looking at, at the historical no. stuff. You're no. bringing, you're bringing in your selected external no. sources to overthrow the consistent of testimony. Research into the ancient Greco-Roman world. And Son, I was studying this stuff when you were still in diapers. Don't give me your ten-year stuff. Okay. Listen, okay, this is the arrogance that you're just known for. No, you well. were the one you're, that brought it in there, Brandon. You brought in your 10 years. You brought in 10 years of experience. You're the one blaming things, what Brandon. I, Brandon, you said I have 10 I'm years of experience. Saying. I spent $100,000. Pastor, yeah. Pastor James was simply responding to that. Correct. You brought it up. And, and you said, thing. I, I, you, you're making. Yes, okay. Dr. White 
Um, you know, again, I, I like him. Um, he he can feel like he rubs people wrong sometimes. Um, he doesn't rub me wrong. You know, I went to college and I had professors like him, so I'm I'm used to it. Um, I you know, I obviously he's a brother in Christ and I admire him and his work, but I do think that you know there's some th- there's some things I disagree with him on, of course. But he smoke he smokes him here, so. Brandon continues and when when James pushes him for manuscript evidence his retort is I have 10 years of studying and so it's an appeal authority and he does and they he does call him out for this so um rightfully so and here in a second I got 10 years of studying and a hundred thousand dollars spent in college. My goodness, man. What could that hundred thousand dollars went to or whatever amount of money he said a dollar more, dollar more than a dollar less is too much. Okay. And, uh, so James is like, well, bro, I mean, if you're going to talk about what you've learned through your 10 years, you know, I'm as old as a goat, bro. I mean, you ain't got nothing on me. And then he accuses him of being arrogant and flexing his muscles of his education when it's exactly what he did. This dude is a horrible debater. Horrible. Horrible debater. And it's not, he's not dumb. Brandon's not dumb. He's a horrible debater because he's defending a position where there's no objective truth, there's no truth, there's no ground in reality. You can't, you're going to be just walking, contradicting yourself constantly. And that's what he just did here. He's done it throughout this entirety debate. He's got a very high IQ, I'm sure of it. Very smart guy. But he he uh, he's defending, he's fighting waves here. That's what he's doing. From authority. I've spent 10 years doing this and $100,000. That's I don't an argument from authority. That's an argument from authority. You've already rejected God's authority. We reject yours. And so that's Great. that's and that's where we're deceiving and, and the message you're preaching is harming thousands of people of bear harming. a message that gives life and forgiveness of peace and peace to those who are deceived harming. and they are wrapped up in their own lusts, like yourself. No. Such no. were some of you no. is what's said to liars, adulterers, homosexuals from the New Testament basis. Interpretation okay. And and uh, well, men who lie with men. Okay, let's use the let's go to the Greek the Greek Septuagint sure. from uh, Leviticus eighteen. Again, men who lie with men. Such were some of you. And cultural context. You can keep using. You can keep trying to. You can keep trying to speak with a silver tongue, Brandon. It's not going to change okay. the fact that the but text me, says what it say, says. Let me just say something. It doesn't say there it. There is. This is how you twist scholarship. What you do no. is you create what you want to find, and then you select your sources, and then this when you come you to a plain text. That says it's not clean. Yes, you it is. Okay, what, is, what does koimethi mean? What does koimethi mean? What does it mean? What do you What do you know about ancient what Canaanite does, homosexuality? I, let's let's try to keep the conversation on one point. He's asking a question. Tell me, sir. No. Tell me. I'm what refusing does, to answer until you can answer my question. What does koimethi say? And and by the way, um, Doctor White is someone who I think he's taught Koine Greek for like. Two or three decades or something. I mean, he obviously knows the language. Okay, I'm I'm a student of it right now. I got about a thousand word vocabulary. I can read some of it. Um, he teaches it. It's it's on a completely different level. Okay, uh, he doesn't want to go. Brandon doesn't want to go down this route. He doesn't. You think he's getting smoked now? 
He does not want to go down this route. That's what it means. Do you even know? Names. Do you even know what Koi means? Okay, see. Okay, so one side wants to dig into the text and get into the background of the language, and the other side doesn't want to do it. So Leviticus, well, what, okay, let's, well, let me just do what, what, let's, let's stick to, okay, I'm going to make sure you, I'm sure you the respect of responding to what you asked or what you claimed. And so in Leviticus chapter 18, you made the claim that these are specific laws to Israel. Yeah. You make the, make the argument that it's, yeah. you know, Sarah, not. three makes that very clear. Yeah. He's speaking to Israel there. And in Leviticus 18, he's speaking to Israel and your claim is that these are really for Israel and it's ceremonial laws and things like that. It's interesting because, and you may have seen this when I, you, I don't know if you watched the show or not, but one of the things I pointed out is the very text that you add a lot of things to and engage in a lot of eisegesis, from my perspective, um, the very text that you appeal to to say that it's just for Israel says that God punishes the surrounding nations for doing these very things. So not so much just for Israel. That's right. But also, if you continue going, and you know this, Brandon, you know this, you're not ignorant of this, the, the chapter and verse subdivisions are a modern innovation. But if you continue reading Leviticus, right? And how terrible of an argument is that, is that, by the way? It's just for Israel. Oh, you mean it's just for God's chosen people? That's the rule? So the, so the rule, even though that's not what it says, it, it's just for God's people? So you want to deny a rule just for God's people, which you believe that's what it's just for? <laughs> As you get into 19, that's where it says you should not steal, you should not deal falsely, yeah. you should not oppress Which your neighbor. All this implies everybody. And Leviticus 19 is the very passage that, that Jesus quotes from where he says you should love your neighbor as, you, as yourself. It's obviously implies so everybody. So your attempt to say, well, these are laws just really pertaining to Israel is immediately refuted by the evidence from the text itself. You should love your neighbor as you love yourself. Is that just for Israel? You know that there are subdivisions within the Levitical law. This is how it was interpreted throughout. Now, I'm reading the text from 18 to 19. And the text has one flow. Yeah, a whole verse later. <laughs> a whole verse. It went all the way from verse 18 to verse 19. <laughs> oh, man. And it has laws against having sex with family, laws against having sex with men, laws against having sex with animals, oh, laws against you know theft, laws against oppressing your neighbor. And there is actually a command to love your neighbor more. as you love yourself. Is love your neighbor as you love yourself a command for the surrounding no. nations? A command for, yes, that is a moral. So that, that one, you like that one. No, Jeff, you're being, again, disingenuous. No, I'm not. reading the text, Brandon. No, you can no, say disingenuous all you want, no, but I'm reading no, the text. This is literally the Apostle Paul's a whole, the Apostle Paul spills so much ink over this. Which laws are ritual, ceremonial, which laws are ethical? This is not something, I don't understand why you're trying to paint. Is you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself, true. is it moral or ceremonial? Obviously a moral law. Okay, so that's the same conversation that you say is just to the Jews. No. Yes. So the, so that's a contradiction, Brandon. You do no. see it, correct? No, I don't actually see it. But So it's for Israel, but not just Israel. No, Leviticus 18, verses 1 through 3, God is clearly speaking to the nation of Israel. He says, do not be like the land of Canaan, which I'm bringing you out. Because they practice these sins like having sex with men and having sex with animals. First time. And we're back. 
We're back. We're back. All right, here we go. We're getting close. Don't be, Brandon, you're not helping yourself. That doesn't change anything. Yes, those surrounding nations practice bestiality and homosexuality. They they oppressed their neighbors. They stole. They did all those things. They all did those, and God punished those people for those very things. But that's because those laws are a reflection of God's own nature and character. Those are his demands upon all mankind. And Brandon, I mean this, I mean honestly, respectfully towards you, I don't know your perspective on the Apostle Paul, but he didn't hold to your position of, on the law of God. Because in Romans chapter 3, after the indictment upon you and me and all of humanity, that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, you know the text, that you know there's none who does good, there's none righteous, he actually says about the law that the law was given to justify nobody, and that it's so that the whole world, the whole world, would he right. be held accountable to God and have their mouth. And the whole world would be under um, Abraham as a father, meaning like we're all going to be descendants of him because we're going to be under the Messiah. There's going to be more people from Abraham than all the sand on the beaches and all the, all the stars in the sky and all that other stuff. Exactly. Correct. Jeff. Mouth shut. So Paul's perspective on the law was that the entire world was going to have their mouth shut by it. It, was, it wasn't just for Jews. A couple things. First of all, yeah. you twisted scripture. Leviticus 18, clearly it begins uh, 18 and 19. There, are, there is a very clear break at the beginning of 19. God speaks again, it says, and then the Lord spoke to Moses saying. So there's a break. We're, we have two different sections of text, two different sections of law code. And we know this to be true, that there are some commands throughout the Levitical 612 laws, which we as Christians have historically interpreted. This is your Orthodox perspective. Some of those are ritual commands. Some of those are ethical and moral commands. The ritual commands Christians do not hold to. The argument that I've made and that many other progressive scholars, LGBT scholars have made that you know, is that when we look at many of the commands in the book of Leviticus, specifically these commands, which are tied to the practices of Canaan and Egypt, that these are related to idolatrous pagan nations, idolatrous pagan practices. These are not general uh, commands about morality for all time. That's already been refuted because stealing and loving your neighbor is is clearly part of that moral command. But I will say something to you. You are right. Hold on now, real fast, Brandon. I'm going to give you credit where credit is due. You are right. These specific sexually immoral practices are idolatrous. And it's interesting because the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 3 actually refers to sexual immorality generally as idolatry. So adultery between a man and a woman is idolatrous. Um, Fornication outside of marriage is idolatrous. And so is the practice of men lying with other men idolatrous. Anytime we try to find yes, satisfaction, never. anytime we try to find satisfaction as creatures and image bearers outside of God's ways, we are ultimately switching God for some other form of pleasure and delight and peace. Correct. And just uh, to expound on this, the, the Holy Spirit is there as a comforter. You're supposed to, you're having, um, you know, you need help with something, you need, uh, you got depression or you have anxiety or you, you feel a certain way, you're supposed to turn to God for these things. You're supposed to turn to God. You're supposed to turn to the Holy Spirit. Talk to the Holy Spirit. He's the comforter. And when you turn to other ways, you don't turn to God, the Holy Spirit, then you are committing adultery or uh, idols, idol worship. You're trying to, you're turning to them 
for comfort and satisfaction instead of turning to God. And that is exactly what Paul was saying here. So he's trying to uh, separate sexual acts from idol worship. When they're not separate. Paul says this. I, and I, I think Jeff asked him earlier. He doesn't understand. He doesn't know his, his uh, perspective on Paul. And this dude might actually think Paul's uh, writings aren't uh, God's word. I mean, there's no telling with this with this dude. It's all idolatry. So you're not helping yourself by saying these are idolatrous practices. The question is Leviticus 18 and 19. Because the word and is there, Brandon, it doesn't help you. It's the same discussion. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to all the congregation, the people of Israel. So using your your argument, in 18, it starts with, this is to Israel. Ready? In 19, it says, speak to the congregation, the people of Israel. And there it says, you shall not steal, you shall not swear falsely, you shall not oppress your neighbor, and you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. The, and you know, your your notice, attempt no, you to subvert the plain meaning no, of the not. text isn't helping no. you, Brandon. You aren't using the plain reading of the text. I'm reading the text. No, you aren't. Because you're not noticing the difference. In Leviticus 18, what are the two reference points? We're talking about two pagan nations, Egypt and Canaan. The context is the practices of pagan nations. 19 does not begin with the context of pagan nations. The context is saying, don't be like these pagan nations. The same thing about loving relationships is okay if it's out of the ortho, out of the between a man and a woman. Don't be like these pagan countries. Is sinful, or what practice is sinful? The practices that are that they're practicing. The surrounding pagan nations are those practices sinful? Yeah. No, those are some of them might be considered sinful, but the idea here is that some of them are ethical, or some of them are cultural and ritual, which I don't think lives up to the standard of sin. Okay. Uh, you said earlier that you're the one dealing with the text. Everyone's spinning it. I, I would like to, if we can, in the few minutes we have left. Yeah. Yes. I want to understand. Kaihasan koimethe meta arsenas koitain gunaikos. There's there's just a small number of words here. Let's see if we can actually agree. Okay. Whoever koimethe lies with an arsenos, and then koitain, of course, is koitis. This is this is to get into bed so as to have koitis. As with a gunaikos. Now, we agree you, on this. Okay, are you are you saying so? Are you saying that there is anything in this text that limits this prohibition, so it does not include? Where where do you get loving monogamous um, same sex coitain? Where where does where does that come from? So this is, again, this is where I do accuse you all of not doing good hermeneutics. You're taking one verse, breaking down the words and saying, look, there's nothing here. It just simply says, man, man, don't lie together as you do with a woman. If you take the verse out of that context and just read it as you did it, I would say, yes, that sounds like a broad condemnation of all gay sex. Okay, but before you go on, before you go on, just, I just want to make sure, is there anything in the Hebrew? Because I was just looking at the Greek Septuagint because more people do that. No, we agree Would you on agree? This. So you'd we agree, agree that the 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 uh, technical terms are used for male and female. Uh, all that stuff is is right there in the text 
and we're on we're are we actually agreeing on something this is not i don't know why this is surprising I've yay okay i just i just i don't know we i just agree. figured in this hour that would be something that would be somewhat of a historical uh, event so we agree on that and your argument is that there's something else that the, that the, the context and cultural context of leviticus 18 places the behavior that's being described in verse 22 outside of the behavior that i'm talking about when i look at my congregation of L that has lgbt people in them and perform their weddings and encourage Why? them to be in loving committed relationships because the context of ancient egypt and canaan did okay. not have loving okay. consensual same sex okay okay hold on, hold on a second so, so the law that was given by moses can yeah. only be relevant in the ancient world where you know canaanite and egyptian religion and can have no application to today which would mean that Paul completely blew it when he interpreted these oh. words in the New Testament. It can have an application. I think it should have application. I think it's against um, like, exploitative yeah, sexual so relationships. The application is my view. In, you agreed, we agreed on what the text was. It is, See, this specific, is specifically talking about a man getting in bed to have coitus with a man rather than in the, in the fashion of a woman. And, and so, and you agree. Must be asked by any good biblical scholar uh -huh. is where in the ancient world, in Canaan and Egypt, was that taking place? So, where the we, evidence we have, the evidence we have of men lying with men as with women in ancient Canaan and Egypt, generally is either exploitative sexual practices or pagan idolatrous sexual. So practices. you're you're saying that Both you can actually you you're actually saying that there were no loving homosexual relationships in the ancient world in Canaan or That's Egypt. That's not what I said. Not the ancient world. I said in Canaan and Egypt. Oh, yes, there were yeah, none. But if there were, then it would have been pointed out as this point. So he checkmated him here again. He's creating all these different variables and all these different um, uh, ways to try to get out of this. And then you can't. know this i didn't say there were none well, the, well but but it's still prohibited whether there's only because you you earlier oh. said well it's only five percent so why would jesus have addressed this so exactly. you're using the minimalization what was much thing more here. common no see you're you're twisting my own argument to try to win your point the point is what was very we're asking common, you you're we're asking your position common, what no you're telling me my position and then having me respond to what you've articulated my position to be Here's the thing. We know that in ancient Canaan and ancient Egypt, it was very prevalent for men to have sex with men. Men of higher status to have sex with men of lower status. Men who had, in, uh, who had enslaved other cultures and people from other surrounding nations were able to have sex with their male slaves. That yeah, and heterosexual did the same thing. They had sex with slaves and everything else. That's why Jesus just broke it down simple between a husband and wife everything else is sin so what brandon solomon david had concubines hundreds of wives so what that's heterosexual very common practice so it makes logical sense All right. Well, we're we're approaching Perversion, an hour right? and a half. Yes, that is perfect. What made it? What made was it? I recommend if you want to finish the rest of this debate, it just they're kind of beating a dead horse here at the very end, and 
he presses him about how homosexual doesn't doesn't produce life and that's more like a you know obviously I, I agree but it's it's a uh, part of the debate if you want to check it out but it kind of leans more into like social issues today i just wanted to kind of focus on the biblical part here i do recommend you go finish it and go check out their channel and um if you've been with me this whole time hour and 40 minutes i really appreciate it and um i'll probably do more debate reviews like this in the future but I wanted to, to, to hit this debate because it covers so many issues that I do cover on my podcast. And I wanted a, uh, a quote, scholar from that point, from that perspective to, you know, go head up against uh, an, an orthodox Christian stance and, and see where it lands. You can obviously see that the guy lost the debate. He contradicts himself. He has no standard. He has no authority. Everything's on himself. And he justifies his own sinful lifestyle. And we need to pray for him. So let's do that. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray for Brandon to repent of his lifestyle, for him to find salvation and love and acceptance into a local church, and for him to come to the foot of the cross and admit that he's a sinner and that he has supported a false gospel, and for him to repent of that sin and for you to have mercy on him. I pray this in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining me.